This episode is powered by Poddex. Poddex are unique interview questions and episode starting prompts in the palm of your hand. So whether you're a new podcaster or existing broadcaster looking to grow your audience and have more meaningful conversations, you're going to want to check out Poddex. Now, if you want to get 10% off your order right now, you can go to poddex.com and type in coupon code, what's the code? Larry21. Yes, that's the code. Check out poddex.com. Take your podcast to the next level. This episode is powered by Poddex. Poddex are unique interview questions and episode starting prompts in the palm of your hand. So whether you're a new podcaster or existing broadcaster looking to grow your audience and have more meaningful conversations, you're going to want to check out Poddex. Now, if you want to get 10% off your order right now, you can go to poddex.com and type in coupon code, what's the code? Larry21. Yes, that's the code. Check out poddex.com. Take your podcast to the next level. Welcome to the Frozen Biscuit Show. I'm your host, Larry Lease. On today's episode, we are diving into the latest free agency news and updates from the Dallas Stars. But first, a word from our sponsor. Today's sponsor is Game Time. Game Time is the go-to app for last-minute tickets to all your favorite events. From thrilling sports games and captivating concerts to unforgettable theater performances, they have it all covered. Get the best seats at the best prices right at your fingertips. No more waiting in lines. No more exorbitant ticket prices. So why wait? Experience the magic of the moment with Game Time. Live for the now. Your ticket to a fantastic time. Use the link in the description and you can help support the channel. Before we dive into today's topics, you can find us on Facebook and Twitter and soon Instagram. Just search The Frozen Biscuit Show. And of course, give us a thumbs up if you like our video. Starting off, the Dallas Stars have improved overall their overall roster on day one of the NHL free agency. The Stars did not hesitate to improve their roster on day one of the NHL free agency. After losing to the Vegas Golden Knights in the Western Conference Finals last season, Jim Neal knew he needed to make some changes to the roster. With who they added today in free agency, I have no doubt that the Stars will be in contention of running it back next season. Some of these new players are coming from other Central Division teams. So let's take a look at who the Stars signed on day one. Number one. Matt Duchesne to a one-year, $3 million contract. Jim Neal made the biggest splash of the day by signing former Nashville Predator forward Matt Duchesne to a one-year, $3 million contract. He had 56 points last season and led the team in goals with 22 of them. He was also the first 40-goal scorer in Nashville Predators history. One of the big things that tripped up the Stars in the Western Conference Finals was secondary scoring. Having Matt in the lineup is definitely going to help out with that. I think you will see him place with Marchment and Seguin next season. Number two, Sam Steele, one year, 850000 
The Dallas Stars signed Minnesota Wild forward Sam Steele to a one-year, $850,000 deal. The Stars are signing him to a let's-see-what-you-got kind of deal. He had a 28-point season, uh, 10 goals, and 18 assists last season. Nils said in the press release about that Steele continues to improve year after year in the league. He will most likely fill in the fourth line as the Stars look to get some scoring scoring down on that line. It'll be interesting to see how he does next season with this young core. Number three, Craig Smith. One year for one million. The Stars signed Washington Capitals forward Craig Smith as well to a one-year, $1 million contract. He had 16 points last season, playing for the Boston Bruins and the Washington Capitals. He will take uh, Luke Clendening's replacement as he signed with the Lightning. Smith should do a fine anchoring the fourth line. Next up, Joel Hanley, two years or $1.5 million. The Stars are bringing back Joel Hanley on a two-year, $1.56 million contract. He's been our seventh defenseman for a while, and Jim Neal decided to bring him back in case we have any injuries to defensemen this year. I'm in favor of bringing him back. I think he's a great player to plug into the lineup. I just don't like the deal he got, personally. We got so many great defensemen prospects, I figured one of them could have won that position during training camp. Next, we're going to grade the... uh, Six picks from the Dallas Stars NHL Draft. The 2023 NHL Entry Draft is in the books, and I expect it to be one of the best drafts of the last 20 years. I wanted to cover this draft because I believe Dallas had a real opportunity to find game-breaking talent, even with just a late second-rounder to start. Did they accomplish that? More than you'd think. Although it's not without some asterisks, before we begin the grades, here are Dallas's picks. Uh, Trist, uh, round number two, pick 61, Tristan Bertucci. Round number three, pick 79, Brad Gardner for center. Round four, pick 125. Apologies for butchering these names. Aram Nishin. Round five, pick 157, Arno E. Just going to use their last initial. Round six, pick, pick 189, Angus M. Round 7, pick 221, Sebastian Bradshaw. But first, a quick word on grading. The following grades are meant to be a preliminary rank based on preliminary thoughts. Nothing more. Prospects are subject to change, whether in progress or regress. The grades are meant to capture where I think the space between the player's potential and Dallas's intention in selecting them ranks. Giving a player a D, for example, doesn't mean I think the player is bad, simply means I've identified a mixture of things working against the pick. Lack of desired traits in the player themselves, Dallas's intent, and what was available. So if you have a problem with the grades, then I don't know what you're doing here to begin with. The draft itself is defined by its arrangement of uncertainty. If you're allowed to be provisionally excited, why am I not allowed to be provisionally disappointed? Just saying. For extra context, I've divided my analysis into two sections. My in-the-wild reaction and my now that I thought of, thought more about it, reaction. Beyond just being a fun way to do this, I think there's a lot to learn. How often do you find your gut reaction to be more accurate or less accurate? Conversely, how much does added reflection really add to your bottom line judgment, more or less? So starting off with Tristan Berducci. Berducci is a left-handed defenseman out of the OHL. He played for the 
Flint Firebirds the past two years, tallying 63 points over that span. Often placed above where he was taken and sometimes below, his development is right where it should be, and he was picked right where he should be. So, in the wild reaction, I didn't like it. For better or worse, draft picks are always weighed against one another. To that end, Dallas could have selected the same thing out of Albert Wickman, only with a better defensive base. Hunter Brucewick might not be as physically gifted, but he was one of the headier defensemen in the draft and a right shot to boot. There was also a ton of blue chip offensive talent left on the board between Grace Soxwin and Riley Height and Colson Pitry. Defensive defensemen who need to work on defense always worry me, not because I think one is more important than the other, but because their offense always invariably becomes secondary if they can't do it at an elite level leaving the foundation of their off-puck awareness as the skeleton of what makes them a would-be in each of them. Bernucci wasn't on a bad team either, which is why his lack of defense stands out despite how he's commonly defined in traditional scouting circles. Regardless of the above, you can't teach the raw nature, nurture, sublimation of skills he possesses. His skating, as good as it gets in all areas, speed, agility, edge work, anticipation, spacing, etc., etc. He's a defenseman built to cut through zones like a warm knife through butter. What adds an additional ingredient to his effectiveness is his puck handling, which happens to have an equal amount of elements of confidence and deception. He's very good at protecting the puck. That's the yin to his strides of yang. There's a difference between upside and potential, and Berducci happens to have both. So, a grade is a C plus. So next up, Bradley Gardner. No, not the former defending Big D writer. He is listed as a center, playing out of the OHL for the last two years for the Ottawa 67s. The forward is widely considered a reach. However, just because you reach for someone doesn't mean they weren't worth the effort. Is that the case here? This pick feels like exactly that, a potential depth piece for the Johnstons and Stinkovins of the world. Here's the thing about depth. You can get it anywhere. I think there are certain types of depth depth worth drafting for in the later rounds. Shutdown defenders and four-checking centers, for example, but not in the top three or even top four. Adar Suniev, who went one pick later to Calgary, the same size, plays an equally well-rounded game, but scored over 100 points in the BCHL this year, if you include the playoffs. So yeah, I don't get this one. It reminds me too much of the Remy Ellie pick, a pick made explicitly to add depth, despite names like Arturi Laokin still on the board. Excuse me. He played a lot of different roles due to his team's injuries this year. It's possible that the lack of stability screwed with his development. Any player's draft year tends to be a critical time in their maturation process. Throwing a big wrench into the process can make the wrong kind of waves. If he settles into a center role instead of a wing or vice versa, what does his versatility look like then? I'm giving him a harsh grade, but I can totally see what Dallas is banking on. So with that, I give him a grade of a D-. Now we have Aramnesian. Apologies for butchering these guys' names wrong. This Jersey kid was part of the U.S. national team in the NTDP, 
He scored 31 points in 62 games and was largely considered a late bloomer after showing out at the World Juniors. So what's the bottom line? If you, needed, if you need to know more, then know that he ended up being one of Team USA's minute munchers at the U18s. Obviously, his skating and puck movement are what made him stand out, but he's not your cookie-cutter puck mover. While I wouldn't add him defensively, I do like that he's engaged in all three zones. This is not a player that takes shifts or, look, or looks for shortcuts. This bodes extremely well for his development. And while he's not tall, he is stout. Even so, I hesitate to call him a puck mover. He can move the puck extremely well, but he really is a hybrid defender through and through. That he happens to be better offensively than his production would indicate, and weaker defensively, despite the common perception, it's not a knock against him. If anything, that's the best sign of all. It indicates that rather than create skills or habits, he doesn't yet have wholesale. His mind and his t- talents simply need a little alignment. Not for nothing, but Scott Wheeler had him going in the second round and openly questioned whether he should have been ranked even higher. A lot of scouts consider this a slam dunk pick. The biggest criticism is that for a puck mover, he didn't put up points. In which case, what are you left with if he's not that? With that said, I consider offense more important than production. His passing metrics make a strong case for something sustainable. Same thing with his shot metrics. When looking at the actual shots that got taken, he had a weak impact. However, in the quality of shots that got taken, he had a strong impact. Add it up, and I think we're looking at what the hockey nerds can call regression. Yes, it can flow up. Don't be surprised if he has a massive draft plus one year. So I'm going to give him a grade of an A+. And now we're going to take a look at the 6-4 German goaltender, Arno T. He played 23 games for Adler Mannheim in the DEL, a team that made a strong playoff run for which he was a critical part of posting a save of .914 in this postseason. If you expect me to know anything about goaltenders, my first thought was, too bad Dallas missed out on Gahan, and my second thought was, let's find out more. The main attraction, beyond his cl- beyond him scoring a shorthanded goal, is that he's a big goalie who is good enough to play full-time in the DEL. Equivalently, models consider the German Professional League to be the eighth toughest league to play in. He has been the talk of the scouting town as a genuine sleeper pick. What I could be missing after sleeping on it? Uh, just the usual goalies and voodoo. So I'm going to give him a grade of a B. And now, Angus McDonald. Scoring 41 points through 64 games doesn't exactly scream NHL potential. But the OHL forward was a critical piece of the Missyaga Steelheads as an agitator and all-around forward. While his points in the regular season would be one thing, he proved himself a red-light performer when he became nearly a point-per-game player in both the OHL postseason and the World Juniors for Team Canada. Talk about clutch. Wheeler had him in his top 100. That's how I knew about Angus in advance. The other thing I'll say is that I kind of miss Antoine Roussel. One of my favorite moments is him screwing with Ryan Getzlaff and goading him into a fight while his face was still broken. In a league bereft of personality, players like McDonald are a breath of fresh smoke. The fact that went ham in the postseason and the WJ tells me he also has his leadership potential too. 
what I could be missing after sleeping on it. Andre Molnar and Mazden Leslie went undrafted. You can make a strong case. They could have gone where McDonald ended up going. So I'm going to give this an A+. Now, Sebastian Bradshaw. Bradshaw played Tier 1 youth hockey this season, so there's no actual footage of him. So my first reaction to his pick is asking, who is he? However, after sleeping on it and thinking about it, I have no idea who Callie Kingis is, but he has a cool name. He's a huge Finnish defenseman that got picked right after Pittsburgh. Or by Pittsburgh, I should say. If we're going to throw shots in the dark, why not add to the Finnish Mafia? So I'm going to give this grade a C-. Their Bertucci pick really brings the overall grade down to a B-. Again, that's not a slight on Bertucci, but with the names that were on board, I can't co-sign if I'm being real with you. However, overall, I was pleasantly surprised by this draft. While Dallas had opportunities to draft players I personally would have preferred, the highs really balanced out the lows. Manetchin and McDonald were steals, while Gardner was an absolute head-scratcher. Bertucci balances out as a player that felt like a reach in comparison to what was still on board, but not a reach in terms of raw materials. I'm also glad Dallas recognized their prospect pool needs. We can argue the dreaded BPA versus needs debate all day and waste precious time. But the fact of the matter is that all teams invariably come face-to-face with needs in certain areas as a collective. Either they're light on wings, centers, or right-handed defensemen when that happens, the cupboard needs to be refilled. The Stars still need defensemen. They still need forwards, and they definitely need goalies. And they managed to snag them all in various shapes and sizes. As we've noticed, the uh, Dallas Stars are keeping the same blue line, which means they're making a huge gamble. The Stars made some noise on July 1st, signing a trio of forwards in Sam Steele, Craig Smith, and, like we discussed, importantly, Matt Duchenne. All were for only one year, coming at $1,825,000 and $3,000,000 respectively, which is very good value for each player. I considered doing a loose breakdown of the signings in a free agency review. But I thought it would be better to discuss it this way. In short, Dallas didn't just settle for low-impact, borderline lineup veterans like they have in the past. All three players can make a solid contribution to Dallas, and each will fit nicely into Pete DeBoer's offensive-focused system, one in which there is no real checking line. Even with the additions, there's still a chance that either Logan Stankovin or Maverick Bork make the opening night roster. They blow the staff away at training camp and in the preseason. All in all, Dallas is poised to have quality and deep forward group heading into the next season. Great, so what? There's a reason that many fans are still sour or at least disappointed with the Stars' offseason so far. And that's because the front office has still failed to address the team's biggest weakness from last season, the team's blue line. Joel Hanley was re-signed for two years, while Colin Miller was traded away. They even brought back former star Gavin Bayreuther on a one-year, one-way deal. Otherwise, nothing. No major free agency signings, no trades bringing in defensemen, nada. Not to mention that Ryan Suter was not brought out 
an option many star fans and media advocated for as addition by subtraction. The mere suggestion apparently baffled general manager Jim Nill. So, so Dallas essentially just swapped out Miller for Bay Ruther, who I personally think is just there for injury insurance and is likely to get waived during camp. At best, he's the eighth defenseman on a full roster. That means our opening night lineup is very similar to the one we saw last season. And well, that blue line doesn't exactly inspire confidence, does it? Asa Lindholm had a down year and was absolutely cratered in the playoffs. Suter was bad, hence all the buyout talk. And Lund convinced was, as Stars fans love to put it, eating nachos starting in March. Healthy scratched in all 19 playoff games. On a more positive note, Hanley had a strong postseason, but a seventh defenseman role is where he fits best long-term. So don't expect a strong impact. Harley, meanwhile, was the star's second-best defenseman in the postseason and should be a top-four staple all season long, assuming, of course, he doesn't regress across an entire NHL season. Remember the most NHL games he's played in a single season, regular playoffs, was 34 in 2021 and 2022 season. That means the only sure thing on the roster is Miro, who is unicorn and, barring injury, will always be fantastic. But even then, there's cause for concern with the subtraction of Miller, not Suter. Eskinen will be forced to play on his offside again. Coaching staffs love to say he is so good that they don't have a problem with it, but it still holds back his full potential. And I'd argue that when the rest of your blue line is as weak as it is, you need your all-world player to be at his best, not forced to compensate for his peers like he did in the playoffs. Which, by the way, is likely a reason why he was great, but maybe not elite this postseason, unlike his 2020 bubble run. Now, there is still a hope for the Stars' blue line. A pretty obvious solution is still on the table. Make a trade. Remember, the Stars didn't make a trade until late September last year. And it's day three of the free agency. Problem is, with their spending spree on the aforementioned three forwards, not to mention re-signing Dayadanov, the stars are tight to the cap ceiling. Per cap friendly, they only have $582,171 remaining. And RFA tied to Landre still needs a new contract, even if it only falls in the one to two million range. If something has to give. If I had to wager, Dallas is probably looking at offloading some contracts. Mason Marchment and his 10-team NTC are also an option. Although I highly doubt Neil pulls the plug on that one after just one season. Yet, even if they do acquire some space through a trade, does that necessarily mean it'll be part of a swing for a defenseman? And if so, who? Eric Carlson will likely be too expensive, either in cap hit or the assets required to get the Sharks to retain more of it. Noah Hannafin, if available, will likely be dealt only with a long-term extension in place. Which, one, I'm not sure Dallas would want to give, and two, might make the price greater than what Dallas would be willing to pay. There's other, less expensive options, of course, but how much would they really move the needle? This blue line needs a jolt, a bona fide top four addition to the lineup but I'm finding that increasingly unlikely. Call me a pessimist, but when your GM makes a habit out of saying, I like where our team is at, and how he feels players like Suter are great for the team, not liabilities, 
It's hard to not think the defensemen we have now are the ones the team is sticking with. If that's the case, Dallas is making a huge gamble, or perhaps more accurately, a series of smaller ones. They seem to be banking on Lunkinvitt's continued growth, becoming a trusted lineup fixture, not a late-season permanent scratch favor of a career seventh defenseman. They also probably think that Lindell will bounce back too, that Harley will be it will be just as good, if not better, across a whole season, that Suter will continue to be a strong defenseman who can play heavy minutes, and that Heiskanen can continue to log ungodly minutes while skating on one foot balancing a tower of glass cups on his right elbow because he's just that good. Now to their credit, if at least two of the first three things happen, the stars are in decent shape. Great shape even if all three do. I'm not banking on Suter doing anything but get worse, and Miro being over-relied on just is what it is. But that's a lot of ifs. It's the type of gamble you make if you're exciting, if you're exiting a rebuild, and hoping things break out right and you make the playoffs. Or if you're a wildcard team, hoping this will be your year to make a deep, unexpected run. But when you're supposed to be a top team in the West, coming off a conference final, where you get embarrassed multiple times by the eventual Stanley Cup champion, a team that has watched its division rivals make some aggressive moves this offseason, and yet is still looking to set themselves apart and win it all. Sorry, but when it comes to fixing your team's biggest weaknesses, I think an apparent strategy of, let's just hope things turn out different this year, is just too big of a risk to take. Let us know your thoughts on that. Let us know your thoughts on the topics we've covered. Oh, is there anything that I missed? Should have included. And you think it's time for uh, the stars to make a move? Who do you think they should trade for? Is there somebody that stands out to you that would beef up the uh, blue line? Let us know. And now on to the Dallas Stars need to look. And adding Tom Wilson. Having at least four all-star caliber players on your team, there's no doubt that other teams will make a run at those guys. Even in today's more skill and finesse-driven NHL, hitting is still part of the game. Players play physically to separate the body from the puck, but use their hitting to help shut down the opponent's best players, thereby getting an advantage during the contest. Sometimes the physical play of the opposing players can go too far. Deep shots, late hits, and unnecessary hard hits that all lead to injuries, compromise the integrity of the game, and can jeopardize a team season and a player's safety. Having a guy on your team who is a strong fighter helps to keep opposing players honest about their actions on the ice. Other teams are interested in Wilson and the, and the Stars should be too. Other teams will inevitably lay... Not on the Stars' best players. Bringing in a guy like Wilson will make opposing players think twice about the hits they dish out. Having one of the most feared enforcers in the game today is a must for every team. Concerning Jamie Benn and Mason Archman, the team just doesn't have enough muscle to protect guys like Robertson and Heiskanen. Not only does Wilson play physically, but he can also score too. Wilson was often a top six forward during much of his time with the Washington Capitals. Often, he played with Alexander Ovechkin on the top line. If Wilson can play alongside somebody who has a chance to pass Wayne Gretzky in the NHL career goals, then he can certainly provide an offensive spark for Dallas. While the Stars would have to make sacrifices to their current lineup for Wilson, all teams around them look to shape up and improve their roster as well. 
The offseason is full of teams rolling the dice to bring them closer to playoff berths in the upcoming season. Some teams adjust to win or defend the Stanley Cup. Another appealing attribute for the Stars acquiring Tom Wilson is that Stanley Cup championship experience. Valuable experience that guys bring to their latest team. Take the Vegas Golden Knights, for example. They recently acquired Jonathan Quick, who has two rings and a Con Smith trophy to his name. In addition to having Phil Kessel and Alec Martinez, who won two cups with Quick. It certainly helped Vegas. Gaining a past champ can help Dallas, too. Adding Wilson adds championship experience that would complement what Tyler Seguin already brings to the Stars. It's an X factor that boosts teams play that every NHL team player or team looks for during the summer and before the trade deadline. Critics will be quick to point out Wilson's past penalties, but that 2018 championship ring doesn't lie. So let us know your thoughts on bringing Tom Wilson to the Dallas Stars. Do you think it's a smart move? Do you think it will help him? Or should we just pass on him altogether if we had the opportunity? Let us know. Of course, give us a thumbs up if you like our video. Subscribe to the channel. And you can find us on all social media platforms. Just search The Frozen Biscuit Show. As always, thank you so much for watching and listening. We will see you next time. This has been The Frozen Biscuit Show with your host, Larry Elise. Join us next week as we dive into even more Dallas Stars news. Don't forget to find us on Facebook and Twitter. Just search Frozen Biscuit Show.